Today, we're very excited to speak with Professor Kieran Burke, who is on the faculty of both the chemistry and physics departments at UC Irvine. He's a chancellor's professor at UCI, a fellow of the American Physical Society, and for those familiar with density functional theory, he is the B in PBE, which refers to the popular Purdue-Burke-Erzenhoff functional. His research papers are now cited more than 12,000 times each year, and is one of the earliest adopters of machine learning for chemistry and physics. Our conversation today will take a fascinating tour through his thoughts on the power and potential, as well as challenges in integrating these two fields. This is the Materials and Megabytes podcast. Maybe we can get started with um, how you got interested in using machine learning for chemistry and material science problems. Uh... So about six years ago, I attended a meeting at IPAM, the Institute for Pure and Applied Mathematics at UCLA, which was about exploring chemical compound space. And I was really only giving an introductory tutorial on density functional theory, which is the most commonly used electronic structure method. And another person giving a tutorial that week was Klaus Robert Mueller from uh, TU Berlin, uh, Computer Science Department. And he came to my tutorial, I went to his, and we started talking about could we use his, his kernel ridge regression to find new density functions. Now, because they have these very long programs of two and a half months, his postdoc, Matthias Rupp, uh, was there for the two and a half months, and my graduate student, John Snyder, was there. So the pair of them could work together even when Klaus and I were off doing other things. So every few weeks we would check in, and that's how our collaboration had started. How are you using machine learning in your work today? I think in all the work I've been doing, we've been using specifically kernel ridge regression to create new density functionals. So we take some problem and we change the potential in some way, the one-body potential that all the electrons feel. And by changing the potential, that changes the density. Now, normally we use quantum mechanics and things to derive formulas for density functionals, approximate formulas. But in these cases, we imagine a system where probably the ingredients aren't changing, the atoms aren't changing, but they're moving around. And so we sample various configurations of, of those movements, and then we create uh, a, an approximate machine-learned density function that interpolates among the data, that, the, the training data. Uh, and once we've done that, we usually get certainly very accurate energies. Nowadays, we can also get pretty accurate densities. This way, uh, we then uh, apply it to test situations where we didn't train. Uh, and we find often a reasonable amount of training uh, gives us good accuracy, good enough accuracy for doing electronic structure problems. So all the applications we've done so far have been of this kind. Some of them have been for very simple model systems, others are for uh, more realistic systems, and then some are to avoid solving the cone sham equations in density functional theory, and others are for 
getting the exchange correlation energy. Uh, but the great thing about these machine learned functionals is they capture what we call non-local properties uh, very naturally that are very difficult for human design functionals to get all our standard functionals fail when things become more non-local and the machine learning functionals don't care they're still as accurate as long as they've been trained. So what are the challenges for using this method uh, for full-blown periodic crystal systems? Uh, so, so everything we've done so far has been on sort of reasonably small systems and even with the recent work with my former student Lee Lee where we did chains of hydrogen atoms going up to infinity, we only ever really did uh, calculations of 20 or 24 hydrogen atoms. Uh, so a problem is to do, say, a molecule with several hundred atoms, or maybe a small molecule in a box of water with you know 256 waters uh, so that it's solvated. Uh, what we don't have yet is a way of generalizing the, the functional so that you sort of train on a few compounds, but then you can apply it sort of to larger molecules. We have not yet succeeded, and I think in any case, in training for one set of one number of electrons and then being extrapolating this to many more. We think we can do that. And some of the techniques that Lee developed in doing that work, I think, may be generalizable to, to do that. But at the moment, that's the biggest bottleneck. It doesn't seem likely that you can keep on sort of training forever on a very complex system. And if you look at how human-made functionals do it, a local density approximation doesn't care how big the system is, it just takes the information at one point and decides what the energy contribution is. So I'm confident that we can figure out how to do this, but I also think it's it's a problem that's going to take some careful thinking about and trying a few different things. What have been the biggest challenges for using machine learning in physics and chemistry problems? So, so there are many, many applications of machine learning methods to material science and, and chemical problems going on at the moment. And, and, and they're very different kinds, right? They, they, you know, some are doing sort of big data with, you know, many uh, big uh, sets of calculated properties, sort of data mining and stuff like that. Uh, so, so each one uses different, uh, different machine learning methods and uh, has different challenges, right? I can only really talk about our one, which is very special, right? Very specific. Uh, so, so but, 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 well, a general issue, I think, is the cultural difference between people in machine learning and people in let's call it sort of very traditional physical sciences. The physical sciences are quite old and they have a, you know, when fields are very mature, then there are sort of long traditions of sort of rigor and care and sort of scientific methods. 
that are just different between the two fields. And so a lot of the culture is different, even to sort of how, how, how carefully you check your scientific paper, how much sort of supplemental information you include to ensure that somebody else can reproduce exactly your calculation. Uh, so even sort of on the day-to-day -day level, there are these sort of deep differences. But probably the biggest thing is sort of being able to talk across cultural boundaries as to what is important, uh, what is valued in the two communities. So you can play almost endless games applying machine learning methods, let's say naively to these problems and making maybe a cute paper, but sort of really using them to do something that couldn't be done before seems quite hard uh, and it takes a lot of talking and especially for younger people uh, to uh, sort of learn, try to learn a bit, not just of the technical stuff, but also of the culture so that they can sort of more quickly grab stuff from one side and apply it on the other side. Is there anything you wish machine learning theorists would work on to advance interdisciplinary collaborations with physicists and chemists? Yes, I think, well, well, there's a couple of things. One is, so, so a lot of machine learning methods are designed to work with sort of, uh, let's say, collections of data, uh, maybe high dimensional data, but, but data. Uh, whereas a lot of the simplest cases uh, in physical sciences, you sort of come up with analytic solutions. So you have sort of simple functions that cap, that are not like very precise, but capture the basic trends. So it would be very useful, I think, if for very simple physical problems, one had ways of, you know, searching through simple functions rather than numerical lists of data. Uh, so problems like that and also noise-free problems. To, uh, I think it's very good to emphasize that many, so some physical situations have noise, and some in a sense that are inherently noisy, but then others where a differential equation has to be solved, there is no noise. And it seems to me that that's uh, what we found with the kernel ridge regression, that's a very specific limit. And you can take, you can apply the usual methods with regularization and so forth to noise-free problems, but there's probably a lot to be gained by studying noise-free problems themselves. Are there any particular uh, problems in physics and chemistry-based machine learning that has not yet been done that you'd like to see students work on? Uh, well, so actually, there's a very interesting problem uh, that I would like machine learning people to think about. So all of this density functional theory is based on a very odd theorem called the Homburg-Cohn theorem. And if you go to any physics conference, and I ran programs at the Institute of Theoretical Physics at Santa Barbara, 
you discover that the people who work in this field use completely different language than sort of all other physicists, and it's not language that other physicists are access, uh, are used to, uh, are familiar with. So the methods that they use are very different. So this theorem is very sort of unusual within physics and not very like generally explored or appreciated. Uh, but it's a theorem that is about a sort of, it's a statement about minimal information. It says that you know, if you know the uh, sort of very surprisingly, if you know the ground state density of an electronic system, you can deduce all its properties. And people really didn't believe it at the time that it was first proven, even though you can prove it in just a couple of lines. But it is somehow like crucial theorem that's been extremely useful in building these approximate methods. So it's and it's a very odd sort of theorem because it doesn't tell you how to do it, it just tells you that it is possible. So I'd be very interested in seeing if some theorem like that can be generalized to, uh, to uh, much more general situations that make sort of statements, it's in a sense something to do with the representation of the system. And we've been finding in our machine learning work that sure enough, using the density is often a very good descriptor and captures sort of crucial physical information. And I wonder if there's some way to generalize this theorem to be more about information content in very general situations rather than just, you know, densities in physical situations. So I think that would be a great thing for machine learning people to do and for anyone to work on. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Materials and Megabytes podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Materials Computation and Theory Group at Stanford University. We look forward to having you join us again next time.